Alright, if you've got your Bibles, um, we're going to be, we're going to continue our study in James. So, um, if you've got those Bibles, go ahead and just open those up, and we'll be in James chapter 5. I know we're going to start there, but that's not where we're going to, um, you know me, we're going to be all over the place. And so James 5 is where we'll be, but we'll, we'll, we're going to jump in different places. But man, the world right now, it, it's literally in pieces, at least it feels that way. It feels really just insane. The the amount of um, people losing their minds is just, I don't know, it's just, it's crazy. Hearts are heavy. Everyone's asking questions like, why is this happening? Or how how should we react? And honestly, we, we shouldn't, as Christians, we shouldn't be in shock. We shouldn't be in shock that tribulation and trials are here. Because Jesus, Jesus promised we'd have them. Um, and here's the thing, Americans have lived really in blessing for a long time. We've lived with, that, with relative um, prosperity, with, with peace, and we've, we've lived in all kinds of just, just really good times. And, and Jesus has promised that, that, there, that trials and temptations and problems, they're, they're coming our way. And that we have lived in blessing as long as we have, without major problems, is a blessing from the Lord. Um, because here's the thing, we live in a sin-fractured world. Suffering should not, now listen Christians, I need you to hear this, suffering should not dismay us or shock us. It's part of life, because we are sinful, because we live in a sin-fractured world, suffering should not be shocking to us. Because when sin entered the picture, I, I think it really it, it messed everything up. Sin destroyed everything. And I think the reason that so many are in shock and disarray is because we have lived in abundance and prosperity for so long. And, and Jesus made a promise in John 16, verse 33. He said that in this world, you will have tribulation. But he doesn't end it there. He doesn't say that, you know, you're in tribulation, so well, here we are. He says, do not lose heart. And that's not just some sort of flowery sounding poetry. That's that's the truth. That's the honest to goodness truth that we should not lose heart. Because Jesus, God's still on his throne. And none of the things that were happening in this world have caught him off guard. They've not caught the king off guard. So knowing this, knowing that he's over all things, and he's it should bring us a sense of boldness and a full measure of peace. And, and honestly, I think the reason that we are seeing so many in our world in panic mode is because A, they don't understand how powerful our God is. And B, they may not believe how powerful our God is. And so I want to start, I, I told you James 5, but I'm going to go to Psalms 29 because I want you to see in the text how glorious and how powerful and how mighty our God is truly is. And so I'm going to start in Psalms 29. So if you got your Bibles, just flip over to Psalms 29. I want you to see in this, this amazing text of just how powerful the voice of God is by himself. So Psalms 29, we're going to start in verse 7. So it says, uh, well, you know what? I'm just going to, we're going to start with verse 3. I, that way I'll just get a running start at, I, you know. The voice is that, now this is just the voice of the Lord. This isn't any other thing. This is just how powerful our God's voice is in the world in which we live. Verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. 
The God of glory thunders, and the Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes the Lebanon skip, skip like a calf, and Siren like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flame of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth, and he strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. So I want us just to see how powerful and how majestic and how beautiful the voice of the Lord is. Like this is when we start to begin to see who God truly is and see how glorious and how powerful he is. Like we really can start to live in a different kind of um, setup. The uh, he, He's sovereign. He's authoritative. He's powerful. And he's king. Like the buck stops with him. Look at verse 10. It says this. The Lord is enthroned over the flood. Like I need you to see. We're talking about the world in which we live. It feels like some of us are drowning. It feels like there's anxiety. There's, there's depression. There's all these things that are happening. God's king over all of it. God's king over every last bit of this. And he's not just sitting enthroned just as just anybody. He's enthroned as king, and not just for a couple of years, forever. Forever he's enthroned. Forever he's set up as king forever. That should give us a sense of excitement and boldness and peace. How do I know that? Because keep going in verse 11. It says, may the Lord give strength to his People And I think when we begin to understand that God is over everything and that he's sovereign, his sovereign purposes are coming to fruition, like he's got a, he's got a plan. God's got a plan for the world. God's got a plan for you. God's got a plan for me. God's got a plan for everybody in the world. Like there's a set plan and his, his purposes are coming to fruition. That should give his people strength and boldness to walk through the day. And not only that, May the Lord, verse 11, they're ending that. May the Lord bless his people with what? Peace. May he bless his people with peace. Wow. We as his people should have an overwhelming sense of peace and strength as we walk through the day in which we live. Listen, guys, I know it's dark. I know it's weird. Like, y'all been to the store lately? <laughs> like, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's nuts. I know it's dark out. But I know that in the world it seems uncertain. But I can promise you this. Jesus is already in tomorrow. Jesus already has tomorrow taken care of. He's not concerned. He's not worried. He's not, he's not up in heaven wringing his hand saying, I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we can do this. He is overwhelmingly in control. And James echoes this idea. So I want us to go back, over, go back to James chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, which I hope you do, go back to James 5. I want you to see how James echoes this idea. Super. Oh, it's so great. <clears throat> and we're going to start in verse 7. We're going to start in verse 7. James says this. Be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. 
you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Wow. So James echoes this idea of, of, of being having patience, having peace, having a sense of, of, of calm in the world in which we live. He echoes this idea. People who have their hope and trust in Jesus will have peace in their life. And as a result of having peace, they will be patient with people and with circumstances. Um, so this, this text, he says, remain steadfast in your faith. Remain steadfast, therefore, my brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He says, we've got to re remain steadfast in the belief in which God's set up in front of us. Believe, be steadfast, have, be grounded, grounded in the, in the belief that you've been granted by Jesus. Like, think about it. He says, look at this. He says, as an example of suffering. As an example of patience, brothers, take the prophets. So he's, he's pointing us back, saying, look back to those that have gone on before us. Look on, look back to the ones who've made it, made it before us. Look at the prophets. Look, take them as an example of suffering. Those that walk through suffering and they've been patient in their suffering, brothers. Take the prophets. Then it says, behold, consider those blessed, we, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So we consider these men and women blessed who continue to walk patiently, walk consistently in their faith. And I love this, he says, in verse 11, he says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. So we know the story of Job. Like, everybody, there's, there's like that saying, that people say, oh, he's got the patience of Job. Uh, mom's got the patience of Job. Well, think about what Job went through. Was Job's life an easy road? No. Like he lost everything. The guy had everything. Think about it. He had all kinds of wealth. He had everything materially that the world thinks is successful. He lost it all. He lost everything. Even his, he lost his kids, his house, his livestock. He lost it all. But he remained steadfast in his belief of who Jesus is. So it says, We've, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose. What was the purpose of the Lord's to show off his glory, to show off how mighty and how majestic and how beautiful he was. And so we've seen the purpose of the Lord. He was compassionate and he was merciful. Like how amazing does that make our God? That was that's what's that's that's amazing. That Job, yes, he walked through deep waters, yes, he had suffering in his life, but he longed to honor with his life the God of the universe. He was steadfast in his belief. And that's what got him through those trials. So the other day, Austin and I were walking. We went on a little walk around our neighborhood. And he and I were talking about all the stuff that's going on. And we talked about having faith. Remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about having faith that marvels God? We talked about this idea of, of remaining steadfast in our faith. And having faith that marvels God. And how in times like these, times that are insane times of suffering, times of trials, times of concern, times of worry. But this is when the champions of the faith emerge. Like, think about all the people that we read about in this book 
who have walked through deep waters. We think of Paul's, we think of Job's, we think of Peter's, we think of all the people in the scriptures who walk through these deep, deep, deep valleys and all the trials, and they, they remain steadfast in their faith. And they had all everything come to fruition. This is when the champions of the faith emerge. Like Hebrews chapter 11 has just a list of men and women who, when times got tough, they stayed the course, they followed Christ well, unwavering in their commitment to Christ. Yes, they were suffering. Yes, they were had moments of concern. Sure, there was moments where they wavered. Everyone, We're human beings. We waver sometimes. It happens. But I want us to see that God's over all of this, and this is when the, the champions of the faith can emerge. And so I want to end sort of kind of on an, this idea of having faith, what like I compare and contrast in Mark chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, go over to Mark chapter 5. There's two stories that are tucked away in the text here, and I want us just to see this really, really neat story. And actually, like I said, two and one. Jesus heals a woman, and um, he helps a Pharisee um, named Jairus. <clears throat> We're going to start in verse 21. So Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then he came to then came a ruler named from the synagogue named Jairus. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored Jesus, earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live again. And he went with him. Jesus went with him. And a great, a great crowd followed Jesus, and they thronged around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood. Now, I want, we're going to stop for just a second. So here's story one. Story A is that Jesus gets out of the boat and there's a crowd of people and there's a there's a, a, a guy from the synagogue named Jairus who shows up and says, Jesus, listen, I, my daughter's sick. She's she's very unwell. Please, he implored her. He fell at his feet. So think about this. This man fell at Jesus' feet and said, please come. I, I've heard the stories of who you are. Please come and help me. My daughter's sick and I'm imploring you that you would come and you would heal my daughter. Please. So Jesus says, okay, I'll go. So we've got story A. God is walking with these people to go see this girl. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of this, insert story two. In the great crowd, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. I, 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 like, I can't even fathom. Like That just sounds awful. And then we continue there in verse 26. Not only did she have this discharge of blood, but then in verse 26, and who had suffered many things under physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better. Rather, she had gotten worse. And she had heard of the reports of Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I just touch his garment, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body, that she'd been healed of the disease. So think about this. This woman has been, like, there's so much struggle in her life. She's had so many problems. She's had so many 
things in her life where she's physically in pain and no one can help her. The doctors have just made it actually worse according to the text. The doctors have made it worse. And so she's like, if I could just, I don't even have to talk to Jesus. If I, I, I believe in who he is. I believe that he's the God of the universe. I believe he's over all this. And I believe that if I just touch him, if I just touch his garment, I'll be fine. I'll be, I'll be healed. And boom, she was healed. So I, I think that's like side note, all the crazy um, faith healers that are on TV. I love this. Um, this is hilarious because all these faith healers who, you know, I believe firmly are charlatans now are canceling their healing services because of the coronavirus. And so I'm like, hey, God's exposing these guys for who they are. They're charlatans. And so I just, that's a side note, not on my notes. I need to stick with my notes. <laughs> so, but I want you guys to see this. Um, that Jesus, like she had this faith. She believed in who Jesus was and she reached and she healed and boom, like this woman was completely healed. And I love the next part of this verse because it's just, it's so encouraging to see this. So she grabs him and immediately the flow of blood and she was healed from the disease, verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned around the crowd and said, who touched me? Who touched my garments? And his disciples, I love this. The disciples are like, um, really, Jesus? Like the text says that a crowd thronged around him. So there's probably hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know. Throng makes me think there's a lot of folks around. And so we've got this giant crowd around Jesus, and everybody's probably trying to touch. And this woman reaches out, and she believes that just touching his garment, I can, I can be healed. And boom, she's healed, and Jesus is like, who touched me? Like, there's a teachable moment here. Jesus knew who touched him. Like, he knew, but there's a teachable moment in this moment about the power of faith, the power of knowing that God's in control, the power of knowing that God is over all things. So he says, who touched me? And the woman, because the disciples, they said, Lord, you see the crowds around us? <laughs> he looked around and they said, in verse 32, and he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that this had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell before him and told him the whole truth. So she, she knew. She was like, oh my goodness, I've been healed. Wow. And so she comes and she falls down in reverence before the God of the universe and tells him the entire truth. Wow, wow, wow. And I love in verse 34. And then he said to her, daughter. Now, let you see something. If Jesus Christ calls you daughter, you're his kid. Like, oh, I wonder if she was, I wonder if she belonged to Jesus. If Jesus calls you daughter, you're in. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, wow, the power of faith in this moment that, that Jesus, like, this woman had such amazing faith to believe that if I just, I don't have to talk to him, I have to look at him, I just need to touch his garment. Like, this is the power of faith that God's, like, she believed that Jesus was powerful enough to take care of all her circumstances. And it's like, wow, it was done. Now, remember story A? And start, remember, there's story B in the middle of story A. Now we're going to go back to story A. Back to Jerry, Jerry's. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your, your daughter's dead. Your daughter's dead. 
don't, why trouble the teacher any further? Don't, don't even, you shouldn't even bother, he doesn't need to come. She's dead, it's over with. It, like, it's done. But Jesus, verse 36, overhearing that, he said to them, to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And guys, this is the message of the world in which we live right now. We don't need to fear. We just need to believe. Like this is the kind of this is the time when belief needs to be most powerful, most like present in our lives. We need to have this faith. Don't don't be afraid. Just believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the, the brother of James. <clears throat> and they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. Now, just a little bit of history here. Um, typically in these type, these days, they pay people to be wailers and, and cry and do all these things. But like, let's just let's take a minute. Think about the father. Is he, if you as a father, you as a mother, if someone said, listen, your, your child is dead, how are you going to feel? You're going to feel immense loss. You're going to feel immense pain. You're going to feel probably anger because, well, we lost precious time because of this crazy lady over here. She needed to be healed, and I came first. And so she's like, maybe there's a little bit of frustration going on in the father's mind. I know as a father, I would probably be frustrated. Be like, really, woman? You had to come and mess up my time. I, I asked first. But still, her faith was talked about here. So they go in. And Jesus, when he walked in, verse 39, and when he entered the house, he said to them, now, this is, I love this, this is Jesus, now think about it. the God of the universe just walked into these people's house. And he said to them, why are you making such a commotion and weeping? Question mark, why are you doing this? This child is not dead, she's sleeping. Well, immediately... The weeping turned, the, the, the moment turned from weeping to what? They start laughing and they say, huh, what? Verse 40, they laughed at him, but he put them out. So they start laughing because they're like, are you, really? You're, she's sleeping? Uh, we know what death is, but think about this. What's death to God? What's death to Jesus? He's overcome everything. He's overcome death. He's conquered death. He, the death is not a thing to be Feared or concerned by Jesus. Like, death is not something to be worried about. He says, this girl's not sleeping, or not dead, she's just sleeping. And so they start laughing. Their faith is not that God can do amazing and mighty things. Their faith is based in reality. Their faith is they see what's in front of them. The girl's dead. The girl's dead. And Jesus says, no, 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 she's sleeping. And they start to laugh, and they say, uh-uh. Jesus says, out. Get out. He put everyone out. Get out. Except for the child's father, mother, and those that came with Jesus, his disciples. So all you have in the room is mom, dad, and the disciples. That's it. And taking her by the hand, verse 41, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise, arise. And immediately the girl gets up. And she began to run around the room because she's a 12-year-old little girl. She's got a lot, like the Lord just said, she was sleeping. She's, had, she's rested. She's ready to go. <laughs> like she's ready to rock and roll. She's a 12-year-old girl. And immediately she gets up. This is our God. This is how powerful and amazing our God is that death has nothing. The, the world in which we live is not a fearful place when the God of the universe controls everything. 
Like he walked into the room and said, no, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Little girl, arise. Get up. Get up. And she immediately got up. And the room moved from fear and dismay and sadness to they were overcome with amazement. Imagine the emotional roller coaster. She's sick. You're sad because she's sick. And then you get worse. No, she's dead. And then, so you've got more sadness. And then you have a moment where Jesus says, oh, no, no, she's not dead. She's sleeping. So maybe the dad's like, really? Really? Maybe he's got some anger pops up. He says, oh, really? And then Jesus says, give me a second. Watch this. Little girl, arise. And she pops up like a little 12-year-old girl. It's like, hey, what's, what's up? What's going on? And the room moves from sadness to, what just happened? What? What just happened? But the amazement of who our God is, the power of who our God is. Like, how amazing is that? And then he looks at me and says, this is what I'm charging you. Don't tell anybody. No one needs to know this. No one needs to know this. And then he said, give her something to eat. She's hungry. Like, Look at the, the vast contrast of faith here. The woman had faith that if I don't even have to look at him, I don't even have to talk to him, I just touch his garment, I can be healed. And then you've got these other people, like, they see what, they believe what's in front of them. They know what's in front of them. They see the world and they say, this is the truth, this is real. And Jesus comes in and says, no, this isn't real. I'm real. I'm the one who's in charge. This little girl, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And having faith like the woman in the beginning of this story will change the world. It will change our lives if we have the faith to believe that God is who he says he is. Having faith that God can do what, what he says he can do will change the lives of the people around you. It will change your heart. It will change your perspective. And having faith that is willing to believe in things that don't make logical sense. Like, this is the kind of faith that's going to marvel the world. It's going to change the world and it's going to manifest our outwardly to the world around us. Having faith like this, that we're willing to believe in things that don't make logical sense. Like, I believe that the God of the universe is still in charge. I still believe he's on his throne. And I believe with everything in me that God is able to do whatever he needs to do. And maybe, maybe this stuff that's going on in the world in which we live is just so people can wake up. That Listen, now is the time to repent. Now is the time that you put your hope and your faith and your trust in God. Like, I need you to understand that God is in control, and He knows all things, and He is above all things. And so, today what I want us to understand and I want us to see is that we need to follow the example of what James has laid out for us in James 7, where he says, be patient with one another. Be patient with one another, brothers, as, as you see until the coming of the Lord. Like, don't grumble against one another. Don't be grumpy towards one another. Don't be hateful. Don't get in Walmart and act like a complete crazy person. Don't, don't do that. Like, be someone who is spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-controlled. Don't grumble against one another. Look at the prophets. Look at the men and women that have gone on before us and the steadfastness in their faith. They walked in their faith. They believed their faith. They believed who Jesus said he was, and they did what Jesus call them to do. Like, that's what we need to do in the day in which we live. Like, we're living in biblical times. I believe that firmly. We, we are walking in biblical times. And so my hope for us today is that we would know and trust and love the God of the universe. God's in control. God's sovereign. God's over all things. Know this. Believe this. Trust this. And if you're saying, if you come online today and, you've, and you're listening to this and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know who God is. 
I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is God. And he came into the world in which you live. And he loved you so much. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him would not, would not perish, but have everlasting life. So he, kind of, he loves you. Jesus loves you. But here's what's separating you from having a genuine, real, authentic relationship with Jesus. Your sin. Not your spouse's sin, not your kid's sin, not your mom's sin, but your sin. The sin that's in front of you, it's your sin. So, well, wait a minute, what do you mean by sin? You've broken God's commands. That's, Romans 3.23 says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short. And as a result of that, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin. You say, well, what's a sin? Have you ever lied? you ever stolen anything? you ever, have you ever... Um, disobeyed your parents. Those are just three of the Ten Commandments. You've, we've broken God's law. And as a result of that, the Scripture says that for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so what has to happen is there has to be repentance that comes into play. You have to repent of your sins. You have to be willing to tell God what He already knows about you. God knows that you're sinful. God knows that you're messy. And He still loves you anyways. Like, that's insane. But here's what's separating you from that relationship. There has to be repentance. There has to be a point where you say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have wounded your heart. I'm sorry that I have broken your commands. I'm sorry that I've gone against the grain of what you've laid out for me. God, I pray that you forgive me, you cleanse my heart, you fill me with your Holy Spirit, and you be the Lord of my life. Something like that. I'm not going to tell you you're going to pray exact prayer, but it's a matter of repentance, understanding you've you're lost, you're sinful, you're minus God, and that God needs to be in your heart in order for you to be a truly changed man, woman, boy, or girl. Like, that's just, that's the truth. And what has to happen, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Not to be like, oh, you don't know my sin, Caleb, you don't know what's going on in my heart. No, I don't, but I know that God does know who you are, knows what's going on in your life, and he's big enough and he's strong enough and powerful enough to take care of your sin. He can eradicate your sin. He can wipe the slate clean, but you have to repent. If you don't repent, you're wasting your time. First John 1 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. So I'll, here's what I want us to do today. I want you to follow the example of what James has laid out. Be patient with one another. Be quick to confess. Quick to repent. Don't grumble against one another's against one another. And look, look to the coming of the Lord. Look to the return of Christ. And behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Like, if you remain steadfast in your faith, this is what's going to change your life. As you, as you walk in this faith, you walk it out patiently and purposely and, and prayerfully, you say, God, what do you want for me to do this week? Like, this week could get even crazier than last week. I'm not going to say it won't. Maybe, maybe it'll get better. But maybe it won't. But here's the thing I know, that God's in control. God's over all things. And so what we need is we need men and women who are willing to walk their faith out. Be, a, be the hands and feet of Christ in the world in which we live. The world needs Christians who are on fire for the gospel, who are on fire for Christ. We need men and women who have faith that will shake the planet. And so that's my hope for us today. So I'm going to pray here in just a minute. I'm going to have Aaron come back and he's going to 
lead us in another song, and then uh, we'll be we'll be done for this morning. But uh, man, if you're here and you you don't know, I'll message me. Like that's the power of technology. You want to talk about Jesus? Message me, and I'll give you my phone number, and we can talk on the phone. I'd love to talk to you about who Christ is. Um, it'd be incredible to to see what's going on. So I'm going to pray, and and then we'll uh, we'll dive into the scriptures here, or dive back into a time of worship. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're bigger than the world in which we live. I thank you that you're sovereign. God, that you're the king over the floods. You're the king over my floods, my concerns, my worries, my my fears. You're bigger than all of that. And God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would miraculously and powerfully step into this moment where all of us are. And that you give us a sense of peace and strength and boldness as your children to do what we need to do in the places where we are, Father. We love you. We thank you for who you are. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we are so glad that you took time to listen to this online resource. We pray it blessed your heart. If you'd like to find out more information on what we're doing at First Baptist Church, go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Baptist. Thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to listen to this online resource. We love you and pray that God gives you strength this week.